0: Support for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by AstraZeneca, a global science-led biopharmaceutical business committed to bringing to market targeted oncology medicines that address unmet needs. More information at astrazeneca-us.com. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with Doctors Anish Chagpar, Susan Higgins, and Stephen Gore. I'm Bruce Barber. Yale Cancer Answers is our way of providing you with the most up-to-date information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. March is Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month, and this week our guest host, Dr. Howard Hoxter, welcomes Dr. Kimberly Jo Hung. Dr. Hoxter is a professor of medicine and medical oncology, associate director for clinical sciences at Yale Cancer Center, and an expert in gastrointestinal cancers. And Dr. Joe Hung is assistant professor of therapeutic radiology and director of the gastrointestinal radiotherapy program at Yale School of Medicine. Here's Dr. Howard Hoxter. So, Dr. Joe Hung, uh,
1: can you tell us a little bit about what radiation is and how we use it for treating colorectal cancer?
2: Sure, so radiation therapy basically is the use of high-energy radiation uh, to try to kill cancer cells. How it works is that it basically damages those cancer cells' DNA, which they rely on to divide and grow. They're damaged so much that the next time they try to divide, they die off instead. Uh, This radiation is delivered typically from a machine that's called a linear accelerator, which focuses high-energy x-rays towards a patient's tumor from outside the body. We can also actually place radiation sources within a tumor which can be used to directly damage cancer cells.
1: Well, uh, you know, a lot of people think that when you get radiation you have a lot of problems related to the radiation, a lot of skin toxicity. It really kind of burns or damages normal cells. Is, is that true today still?
2: Well, I think it's a hard thing for a patient to sign up for radiation treatment when they've been told basically their whole life that they should avoid exposure to radiation. Uh, the difference is that we have uh, technology used to really focus that uh, dose of radiation to the target, which is the tumor, and try to avoid dose to normal tissue so that we can minimize side effects in that way.
1: So the current technology, these linear accelerator machines, they're a lot different than the early days of radiation.
2: Exactly. So I would say that, you know, in the early days of radiation, we were really aiming large, open, wide beams towards patients. Um, And that would mean that essentially all of the tissue in the way would get treated. In addition to the tumor, you would be treating normal skin, normal bowel, normal bladder. The difference today is that we're able to shape that radiation dose better. There are technologies such as something called intensity modulated radiation, which really is a way that allows us to carve the radiation dose. You're no longer sending dose as a large box towards your tumor target, but you're able to... uh, Determine exactly where that should be deposited, and sharply carve that dose away from nearby structures.
1: Right, and and also the the acceler- linear accelerator type machines are higher energy, so they tend to go through the skin and so forth, and exactly. not affected as much. Right, right. So it's that plus this computerized planning and some of these other more fancy techniques that allows the radiation to be concentrated where the bad cells are and pass through the good cells without damaging them.
2: Right. And, and, uh, you know, a similar advance would be something that we call image-guided radiation therapy. So you can imagine that on a day-to-day basis when a patient comes for radiation treatments, their body is in a slightly different position or perhaps the internal organs are in a slightly different position. And in order to take that into account, we have to treat the tumor target with a larger margin. With image guidance, we basically can obtain x-rays or even... Cat scans every day on the treatment table, which allows us to position the patient more accurately and therefore reduce the treatment field.
1: That's that's very hopeful that you know we'll be able to get more of the radiation where it really needs to be. Put
2: it where it's supposed to be and avoid the normal tissue. That's really the goal of the of the treatment, and that's how we minimize toxicity. Yeah.
1: Um, so, in, in colorectal cancer treatment today, we don't use radiation for most of the people with colon cancer, certainly. How, how are we using it today?
2: Right. So, as you, as you just mentioned, colon cancer is typically managed without radiation therapy, based off of many studies that really showed there was no benefit to adding that because surgery is so effective. Uh, So radiation is typically used um, to treat rectal cancers, which lie lower in the pelvis. Um, Because of that position, it makes surgery more challenging, if you will. Uh, And so we typically treat all rectal tumors that are stage two or stage three. This means that the tumor is large enough in the pelvis or has spread to nearby lymph nodes in the pelvis, such that if you proceeded with surgery alone, there's a high risk that that tumor grows back in the pelvis after surgery. So we know that there's a benefit to shrinking the tumor or reducing the burden of tumor and lymph nodes prior to surgery uh, in terms of reducing the risk that that cancer can grow back after a surgical procedure.
1: So if I have colon cancer, I usually won't get radiation. And if I have rectal cancer that's kind of in this intermediate stage, I probably will get radiation. Exactly. And how do I tell if it's colon or rectal cancer?
2: So I mean, cancer. I know I
1: can ask my surgeon, but, you know, besides that.
2: Right. So the rectal cancer is defined as basically being lower in the pelvis. So it's anywhere from the anus um, uh, up to usually about 12 to 15 centimeters distance. Um, and that's measured typically by a gastroenterologist um, who is doing a colonoscopy and would diagnose uh, the tumor and see where it's located in the bowel. Another so way that the, we define this. the last
1: five to six inches of the of the colon is the
2: rectum. If you subtract out the distance of the anus, exactly. Um, We can often rely also on CAT scans or MRIs and just looking radiographically at where that's positioned in your body.
1: And what biologically, is there a difference between what's in the rectum and what's in the rest of the colon?
2: Uh, I think that it's more an issue of um, local control being challenging in the pelvis because of um, anatomic location
1: so it's just harder to get in there and operate and get
2: everything exactly. out
1: as easily. But surgeons have changed their approach a little bit.
2: Right. Surgeons have changed their approach in the sense that the surgery is a more extensive surgery, basically n- not just taking the tumor tissue, but really taking all the surrounding tissue um, out to the sides of the pelvis. And that has minimized risks of local recurrence. But even in that setting, there's, there have been studies showing that adding on radiation continues to provide a local control benefit in terms of reducing the risk that that tumor can grow back.
1: So we, for rectal cancer, because the surgery isn't quite as effective at controlling it locally, we add the radiation for rectal cancer. Agreed. And um, even with the better surgical techniques, we still can use radiation right. and still reduce the risk of some cells being left behind and right. growing back in the pelvis.
2: And certainly there's probably also biologic differences between how a rectal cancer behaves and how a colon cancer behaves that also contributes to this local control being more meaningful.
1: So what's involved if if somebody needs rectal radiation?
2: So typically, we start with a basic consultation. That's really just meeting and discussing why radiation therapy would be beneficial and what those expected side effects would be. Oftentimes, patients are most surprised by the fact that radiation is delivered with daily treatments, that they have to come for a dose of radiation Monday through Friday for a course that's typically about five and a half weeks. The reason for that is that a little dose of radiation every day causes enough injury to the tumor cells uh, to have them die off, but that your normal tissue surrounding the tumor can heal in between each of those daily doses. Uh, So the first step for planning radiation would be a special CAT scan. We call it a CAT scan simulation, but really what that is is positioning your body in the way that it would be for treatment, obtaining a CAT scan that we can generate a treatment plan off of, and then we embark on the radiation treatments within a week or so.
1: And a treatment plan is basically a computerized way of delivering the radiation in, in doses to a Defined field.
2: Right. So treatment planning is something that actually we as radiation oncologists spend much of our time doing. It's become a lot more intricate than it was in the past. Um, You know, we had talked about some of the advances in treatment delivery from the um, days many years ago with uh, much wider radiation fields, where really planning was done on a two dimensional X ray. Uh, Nowadays, with the CAT scan images that we obtain, we have slices through your pelvis every two millimeters and we're really defining what the tumor target is at every slice, as well as what the normal tissues are that we want to avoid. Um, And and that's our job as physicians to identify those volumes. And then we work along with a physics team to help generate um, the best plan, which really is what energy of radiation are we using? How are we shaping the fields? How are we modulating the intensity of those fields? which angles should they come from, and all of that to help um, maximize tumor delivery of radiation and minimize dose delivery to other tissues.
1: And, you know, because you can shape the fields with closer edges and so forth, I mean, what are some of the kind of side effects that you avoid compared to other, you know, older forms of radiation for the rectum.
2: Right. So in this particular area, the main side effects that we are concerned about are injury to the normal bowel, which can result in diarrhea or nausea or changes in appetite, Um, also doses to the bladder, which can cause some frequency of urination, and then we had talked earlier about toxicity to the skin, uh, which can end up being like a severe sunburn type of reaction. So probably the best evidence that our newer techniques of radiation can reduce these toxicities is actually in the treatment of anal cancer, where we have good data comparing uh, simpler radiation plans to these more refined approaches, and follow those patients and show that their skin toxicity, their GI toxicity, and their bladder toxicities are less um, with these treatments. Uh,
1: And... uh are um, the size of bladder toxicity. Then there are also issues for men with uh, erectile dysfunction. We see that very often today with Colon, can- rectal cancer, radiation.
2: Right. So, uh, with the use of these techniques, we're able to uh, minimize dose, um, you know, to those nerve bundles, and also minimize risk for infertility. We're treating a lot of younger patients nowadays with mm-hmm. rectal cancers, and dose to the testicles, for example, um, could lead to issues with infertility that can be minimized with these types of techniques.
1: And and the ovaries for women.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Can't forget about the women.
1: Right. So um, so that's all really um, major progress. Uh, you know, when we started out giving treatment for colon or rectal cancer, it always started with surgery, and then we gave chemotherapy and radiation for rectal cancer afterwards. But there were some long-term side effects of, of giving the radiation after. So now we've pretty much gone to doing Um, radiation preoperatively. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: So we know that giving the radiation prior to surgery uh, as you said, um, you know, is more effective, it also minimizes the toxicity uh, compared to receiving that radiation after surgery. Um, and really there are two reasons, I think, that if you are treating the tumor before it's removed, you know exactly what you're targeting, whereas if you're trying to treat the space that the tumor was in after it was removed, that generally is a larger area, meaning that you're treating a lot more normal tissue. The other challenge is that once the tumor is removed, then a lot of normal tissues fall into the space where the tumor was. So again, again, we end up irradiating more normal tissue. Um, We're also a lot more effective at treating something you can see. And so that's where the increased local control benefit of treating prior to surgery comes from.
1: And does it help the surgeons?
2: Well, I, it would help the surgeon in the sense that if you are reducing you know, the volume and the burden of tumor and what it might be stuck down to, then oftentimes creating a wall of fibrosis or scar tissue between the tumor and adjacent blood vessels, for example, can make dissection of that tumor uh, away from those structures much easier. The surgeons might argue that the fibrosis makes surgery more challenging.
1: And what about if it's kind of low down close to the uh, anal muscles, um, right. And Sometimes we, ha- we have to worry about, you know, are they going to have good sphincter function? Will they need a bag? A can r- radiation is helpful in that, too, right, Certainly from the trials that have been right. done.
2: You bring up a good point, which is that oftentimes when tumors lie very low in the rectum, in order to remove them, there's not enough bowel left to reconnect your colon. Uh, and so, therefore, those patients end up having a permanent bag for their stool, um, we know from some of the trials that in patients where you think their tumor is so low that they will require that type of surgery, if we embark on radiation to minimize the tumor you know, size prior to surgery, about at least 40% of them are converted from what we thought would be a surgery requiring a permanent colostomy to one where they um, don't need that procedure.
1: Well, thank you. Uh, so we're going to take a short break for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more information about the role of radiation therapy and colon cancer with Dr. Kimberly Cho Hung.
0: Support for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by AstraZeneca, committed to providing targeted cancer medicines for patients. When it comes to cancer treatment, one size does not fit all. More information at AstraZeneca-US.com. There are over 13 million cancer survivors in the U.S. and over 100,000 here in Connecticut. Completing treatment for cancer is a very exciting milestone, but cancer and its treatment can be a life-changing experience. Following treatment, the return to normal activities and relationships may be difficult and cancer survivors may face other long-term side effects of cancer, including heart problems, osteoporosis, fertility issues, and an increased risk of second cancers. Resources for cancer survivors are available at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers, such as the one at Yale Cancer Center and at Smilo Cancer Hospital, to keep cancer survivors well and focused on healthy living. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas.
1: Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Howard Hoxter, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Kimberly Johung, and we are discussing radiation and colon cancer. So, um, Kim, we were just talking about how preoperative radiation has really kind of changed a lot of the long-term side effects of radiation when it's given after surgery and it might make the surgery more uh, easy for the surgeon and and it also can help in some cases where the tumor is very low allow more room to connect the colon and the and the end of the rectum together. So you don't need a colostomy. So um, what, you know, what are still some of the long-term side effects of radiation? Or are they, you know, what percent of people have these? And what needs to, what do we worry about with that?
2: So I think what we worry about in terms of long-term toxicities are mostly late bowel toxicities. Uh, this can, can in, include basically strictures at the anastomosis, which really means that the area where your bowel is reconnected uh, becomes scarred down, uh, or that you could have obstructions elsewhere in your bowel. And uh, you know these are now rare with the techniques that we have, but at the, their worst would require a surgical intervention um, for repair. Uh, and so I think that, you know, all these efforts we make to avoid giving radiation dose to tissues that are not, you know, don't, don't need to be treated um, are very important.
1: And um, is that very common today using, the, you know, in the l- latest series with uh, more current techniques? How, how frequent is the, are these kind of late side effects?
2: Right. So I think that when we give radiation in the preoperative setting versus in the postoperative setting, we already see a reduction in late toxicity so that it's in the single digits range, you know, under 10%. And so while we don't have numbers for late toxicities with intensity modulated radiation for rectal <laughs> cancer, for example, um, you know, these numbers are, are even lower. So probably, you know, between 5 and 10% risk.
1: So most of the time, people aren't going to have too much in the way of skin toxicity, maybe a little diarrhea, maybe a little bladder irritation, but mostly uh, the radiation goes pretty well.
2: Right, and oftentimes we have patients who are able to continue their full-time work during treatment, and so you know, the biggest annoyance is having to stop by our department every day for a treatment, uh, but you know, their toxicities are managed quite well so that they can continue to function in their life as they had you know, off treatment.
1: So some people, uh, specifically people in Scandinavia, are looking at different schedules of radiation so you don't have to come so many times. There's like one program that uh, uses like five doses of preoperative radiation. Do we use that here, and what are the pros and cons of that?
2: Right. So, you know, there are Dutch and Swedish studies looking at this, uh, which is basically using larger doses of radiation and just five treatments rather than this protracted course that we've been talking about. Benefits are, one, that, you know, you are not um, needing to come for so many treatments. You get on to the definitive therapy, which is surgery, um, sooner, um, and Really, how this works is that if you give the radiation in a larger dose, you're getting a larger biologic effect of it uh, on the tumor. So, we do this without chemotherapy. Um, when we're giving radiation slowly over the course of five weeks, we rely on chemotherapy as a radiosensitizer to make that uh, treatment more effective. So, when we're doing larger doses, this would be five treatments in the absence of chemotherapy. Um, the data actually shows us that the outcomes in terms of local control of the tumor are probably equivalent, um, with some. Concerned that if you have tumors um, that are lying lower in the pelvis, that perhaps that standard course of five weeks of treatment is more effective. Um, so probably this has not come into practice here in the United States merely because of practice patterns, and is more commonly used in in Europe where the studies were done.
1: In uh, w- we have an organization that Yale is part of that kind of sets standards uh, for medical practice and insurance called NCCN. And in the rectal group, we've said that's an alternative today for Radiation besides the long course, the five-day course. Do you, do you agree with that?
2: Absolutely. That and I think an in my practice, I've uh, certainly uh, considered this treatment, particularly for patients where because of their social situation, it would be very challenging to come for daily treatments. And, you know, another scenario is a patient who may not necessarily be felt to medically be able to tolerate chemotherapy along with radiation. And so, therefore, rather than doing five weeks of radiation alone, um, The treatment will probably be more effective if we deliver this um, in the European style of five treatments.
1: So that kind of brings me to the issue of, you know, we're giving all these things, chemotherapy, radiation therapy, surgery in one order or the other, or an evolving kind of sequence. Um, What is, you know, we, we call that multidisciplinary planning. How does that work and why is that important?
2: Well, I think that this is a long treatment course for patients. Um, You know, they require radiation with chemotherapists. We talked about surgery and then additional chemotherapy. uh, We need to decide as a team if this patient needs radiation because then we would like to implement that radiation prior to surgery um, for the reasons that we've talked about. Um, So for us, you know, typically that means that as a team of surgical oncologists or colorectal surgeons, uh, medical oncologists, us as radiation oncologists, um, together with our pathology and radiology. Co- colleagues will meet and review cases so that um, we are all uh, on the same page in terms of the treatment paradigm, which helps to um, coordinate all of these treatments better for the patient.
1: And we actually talk to each other.
2: Sometimes. Yeah. When we're not texting, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. <well>. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> That's another good means of communication these days. But I, I do think it is really critical for most people with rectal cancer to be in a center that deals with a lot of rectal cancer and has good multidisciplinary programs where uh, the approach is, is uh, really based on agreement of all the different uh, specialties together.
2: Absolutely agree.
1: So what are we doing, uh, what, what's happening today with clinical trials for uh, rectal cancer around the country and, and at Yale?
2: So the clinical trial we have open that incorporates radiation right now for rectal cancer um, at the Yale Cancer Center is one that is evaluating Uh, the efficacy basically of a herbal supplement which um, has been shown when paired with chemotherapy to reduce some of these GI toxicities that we have spent a while talking about. Uh, And we know from uh, animal studies for example that if you radiate mice and do that in the presence of this herbal supplement that it allows for protection of the bowel so that there's less damage seen uh, to the bowel wall um, as a result of radiation. So what we're doing with this trial is basically adding that supplement uh, to standard radiation and chemotherapy that we would give prior to surgery with the hopes that we can reduce uh, the risk of any toxicities.
1: And, and that's not just like any old herb. This is like actually a Chinese herbal preparation that's kind of a traditional Chinese medicine, but in a more standardized, that is standardized and, and well pharmaceutical exactly. preparation. Yeah, And I think so, in
2: general, I mean, we were mentioning other studies outside of our own institution. I think an area that is an evolving area of interest for rectal cancer is uh, the question of, can we manage some of these patients without surgery? So, uh, you know, there's a, a current trial that's basically looking at giving uh, all of your chemotherapy and your radiation with chemotherapy prior to surgery, and for patients who have a very low-lying rectal cancer that would require a permanent colostomy bag uh, or very advanced tumors, is this advantageous? Perhaps could those patients avoid that surgery that requires uh, you know, a permanent colostomy? Obviously, that's something that's still an area of research, and, and we don't know if that's the right way to go, but could be a promising, um, uh, you know, evolution in the future.
1: Right. And uh, and also, I think there are some studies coming along in the next year or so where we'll be adding some of the new, more targeted, molecular-based therapies to some of the traditional chemo radiation to try to exactly. improve the outcome for people who are at the highest risk for recurrence of rectal cancer, the high-stage threes, et cetera. Right. So, I mean, those are, are pretty interesting, and uh, we're working together on bringing those latest therapies to our patients here. Um, so, you know, what else, what other uh, advances in, in radiation oncology or, you know, therapy for GI cancers are, are you using today? to help treat patients.
2: One technique that we haven't discussed yet is something called stereotactic radiation uh, or stereotactic body radiotherapy. What this really is is similar actually to that uh, five treatment course we were talking about uh, prior to surgery where uh, radiation is given in much larger doses. Um, So the benefit of that is that if you're able to focus a high ablative dose of radiation at a tumor, and we can really only do this for uh, small tumors, um, that the ability to control that tumor is probably higher. Um, this technique was originally used to treat cancers that had spread to the brain. So we have small brain metastases that um, can be basically controlled um, with high doses of radiation delivered in oftentimes a single treatment. Um, From there, that technology moved to treating small lung cancers where we have great evidence to show that it's probably equivalent to surgical treatment of those tumors. Uh, where this applies to colorectal cancer is a little different you know we couldn't use this technology to treat a colon cancer or a rectal cancer because those tumors are too large um, to be treated with these high doses of radiation. Uh, The reason being is that we really rely on being very precise and focused with our treatment um, to a small area to avoid toxicity to nearby structures. Uh, But we know and we've known for a long time that colon cancers or rectal cancers that spread to the liver um, can still be treated with curative intent, meaning that if a surgeon can take out those liver metastases, those patients can have long-term survival. Oftentimes, we have patients who are not candidates for surgery for medical reasons or perhaps the tumors in an area you know that would be prohibitive to surgery or other ablative techniques that we have. And so that's where this technology of stereotactic radiation can be beneficial. Um, and we know that if um, we apply three to five treatments, that we have a good chance of um, eradicating that disease that may have escaped to the liver.
1: So as opposed to the pre-op setting where you're giving little doses for 28 28- times or so, um, this is going to be like one or several big whacks at the tumor, right?
2: Exactly. You're basically giving about, you know, sometimes uh, five to 10 times more radiation in one dose, but, uh, you know, in in three to five treatments.
1: And, you know, in the brain, the reason that, that this technique started in the brain is because they could kind of make it stand still or keep it from moving by putting a frame around it. You know, the the liver and the lungs are moving, especially the lungs when you're breathing. So what do they do for that? They can't make people stop breathing, right?
2: for a small amount of time, you could stop breathing. Oh, okay. I'm joking. But what we do is we uh, we apply what we call, um, there are many ways to, to manage respiratory motion, which is what you're getting at. Uh, so some of these technologies involve um, actually compressing the uh, abdominal um, musculature so that patients are forced to breathe more shallow. That limits the motion of these tumors in the liver, for example. Um, we actually obtain what we call a four-dimensional CAT scan for planning, which you can really think of as just a movie. You're getting a movie, of how the liver moves as you breathe. Um, You know, if you don't know where that small tumor is moving, you have to treat a larger area to make sure you encapsulate it. But with these CAT scans, we're able to treat just the small path that that tumor would take as you breathe.
1: So it's like really like you are hitting a moving target.
2: Exactly. And and even the newer technology now uh, involves placing these beacon transponders directly in the tumors. We used to do this um, uh, actually in the prostate, but now there are smaller beacons that can be placed, um, you know, into the liver. It would be just like a biopsy, but instead of the biopsy taking out a specimen of tumor, you're leaving um, a small millimeter-sized transponder in the liver tumor. That communicates with our treatment machine, so the machine can basically track that tumor as you're breathing. How does it move um, during your breathing cycle? And we can set parameters on the machine so that if it moves three millimeters out of range, we stop treatment and wait for it to move back in, into the field.
0: Dr. Kimberly Jo Hung is Assistant Professor of Therapeutic Radiology and Director of the Gastrointestinal Radiotherapy Program at Yale School of Medicine. If you have questions, the address is yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. I'm Bruce Barber reminding you to tune in each week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas.